HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. The Speakeasy is produced by Heritage Radio Network, a nonprofit member-supported radio station devoted to all things food and beverage. Help keep HRN alive by becoming a member today. Go to heritageradionetwork.org and click on the beating heart to donate. Do it now. Don't be a dick. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Damon Bolte, and I'm Souther Teague. And today in the studio, we have a gentleman that I don't—I don't even know how to introduce the guy that's in the studio today. I mean, like, Juggernaut. Juggernaut. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, polymath. <laughs> yeah, uh, those are. Yeah, okay. Well, that's um, why. That's why you're in the studio to help me out. The, meteor, the meteoric rise of one Chris Louder. Chris Louder is in the Welcome. studio today. Welcome to the show, man. Hello, gentlemen. Hey, hello, Chris. Just, just flew in from Seoul, South Korea. That's true. Uh, sort of. Seoul survivor. The soul, I am the sole survivor of Seoul, <laughs> South Korea. I hope that's not true. I hope it's there when I go back. <laughs> Dude, so, uh, like, we first met years ago. Um, I, I, I don't even, I always like to say this about, like, friends of mine, that, like, when it applies, but... I don't actually remember how we met. We just became buddies. Like, that's I, that's probably true. Yeah, we were just friends. <laughs> hug, <laughs> hug at first sight. Done. <laughs> hug life. <laughs> hug life. Yeah, man. So, um, and I remember you were, uh, you were at uh, Nomad. You've been like you've, you've been all over the place, man. And and well, now you're in South Korea. Like, dude, I, you know what's what's cool about just jumping into uh, uh, being friends with you is that. We were just buddies, and I don't even think I know that much about you, which is cool because you're here in this, the studio today. Yeah, and let's let's talk about Chris Ladder, man. I, sure, I know some stuff about Chris Ladder. Oh, yeah. uh, well, you know, can we Southern. say that on the air? Can we say <laughs> the same? He well, knows the dirty, the down dirty secrets. <laughs> well, I met Chris Ladder in a sweaty, small, low ceiling closet. Dude, the, can we talk about this on the air? In the basement, Seriously? in the basement of Booker and Dax. Ah, yeah. Before yeah. he knew my name, he knew I was ambidextrous. I did. That's right. <laughs> it's a sweaty closet joint. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I met I met you in the basement of Booker and Dax. You were bar backing. I was bartending. We had just opened the place. You were like wild eyed, crazy haired, sweaty in that in that basement, which was always. I'm still hot. sweaty. Yeah, in that basement, which is always hot. Um, 
And then we had some conversations, and, and then we became fast friends as well. And then, uh, and then I asked you to come work over to Mori Margo, which you did. Oh, yeah. After some lo- lengthy trial. Um, <laughs> but let's back up even before that. You were in, you're in Asia now, but you were in Asia before that. So sure. Give, give, us the, give us the trail. Asia, okay. Asia to Asia. Asia to Asia. Here we go. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I am from Baltimore originally. I started in Chum restaurants. City, hon. That's, that's it. Um, I started in restaurants when I was 15. And I started as a dishwasher, uh, worked in a, a also sweaty, cramped, hot little kitchen uh, called Woody's Crab House, which is <laughs> every bit, every bit the volume, <laughs> the volume crab shack that it sounds like. Um, anyway, so so I, I cooked there. Uh, well, I dishwashed at first, and then became a cook. I cooked for a number of years, and eventually went to university. Uh, cooking along the way. So I always would cook at least three days a week. And then, uh, in university I studied Mandarin and Japanese, uh, we useful skills. Hey, useful <laughs> skills for a cook. Um, actually, no, actually it's, it's, uh, I played music. Um, so I was in a punk rock band and I didn't know what I wanted to do. And, uh, university of Delaware was the closest university to my house at that time. And I wanted to continue to play music. So I just said, well, I'll just apply to that one, and then we can still play shows. Uh, <laughs> and once, anyway, once I got in, I said, oh, shoot, I have to uh, make decisions now with my life, and, and they have an uh, Asian language program. So I started studying Mandarin Japanese. I wanted a job eventually that was social and creative and international and challenging, and, and it turns out cocktails are those things, too. So um, two years in, I got some scholarship to move to Asia. I was 19. And I got some scholarship to move to Japan. I studied in Japan and did an internship for about three months, two months of work, and then one month of couch surfing. And went from there to China, where I had a year's worth of scholarship to study Mandarin full-time. Did that. Uh, At the end of the first year, I, I was teaching English on the weekends, and so I had enough money that I could pay for a second year. I wanted to do their advanced Mandarin program. I figured... Don't do it if you're going to do it halfway. So I, I, I think that seems to be a motto of your life. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> extreme. extreme. <laughs> Stay tuned. This Ex- story is going to get crazy. Extreme life. Uh, yeah. And so I, st- I stayed for a second year, started getting jobs for the State Department uh, and for University of Delaware to lead uh, groups of students when they would come on their study abroad or what have you to China, then I would be their bilingual tour guide or what have you and, you know, take kids to the hospital when they got food poisoning and (laughs) (laughs) get get them drunk, get them drunk before we went to the Shanghai circus and get everybody important parts of the job. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, so liaison, if you will, I am a liaison between kids in the hospital and food poisoning in China. (laughs) Uh, And then anyway, so I moved back to the States to finish university, started working for uh, organization called Confucius Institute, which is a... Uh, I've heard of them. They make cookies. <laughs> they, 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 they tell me what my future is going to be like. Uh, yeah, Confucius Institute is a group that teaches Chinese culture to communities across the states. So I was their bilingual MC when they'd have big galas. One day I did a gala, uh, and there was this wild-eyed, crazy uh, angel investor entrepreneur out in the the audience um 
I, I won't say his name, but he, his, his wife manages the retirement fund for DuPont. They're, he's just crazy, lives in a mansion in Delaware somewhere. Uh, and so he sat me down. I did this gala, came down off the stage, and there he was. This little crazy wild-eyed man. He like lost a jaw and, uh, uh, and yeah. I, I mean, so he stands there. I, I I come off stage. There's this guy uh, <laughs> frothing in the mouth. His jaw keeps popping. Uh, he's like, ah, I'm gonna make you a, a, a deal. It's like, okay. It's like, sit down. I'm gonna interview you for a job right now. So it's okay. Right so, now. <laughs> right now. Flash interview. Yeah. And so this guy uh, sat me down and interviewed me because he wanted to start a translation firm. And he had access to some proprietary uh, Chinese government information from the uh, state um, information center in China and a group called Chinese Economic Information Network. Anyway, so he had this exclusive information. And so uh, he hired me um, to build a translation department for him. So I did that. Uh, we <laughs> we became an industrial economic translation firm based in Wilmington, Delaware. Sounds exciting. <laughs> yeah, it, it's <laughs> what the fuck is going on right now? <laughs> what the fuck are we talking about? It's really working. <laughs> anyway, blah 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 blah. So, <laughs> Dude, so, this is amazing. So I uh, I started this translation firm for this guy, uh, <laughs> and 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 we we built it out, and we'd go back and forth to China. Eventually, I, I realized, to be honest, the, the translation translation as a, a career is kind of doomed, I think, thanks to Google and hard work. I, I don't mean that in a negative way. I think it brings people closer together when, when you don't have a third person there. So uh, I wanted to get back into restaurants and started reading cocktail books and, and chef blogs and, and cookbooks and just trying to... Listening I, to podcasts. Listening to podcasts. Uh <laughs> And, and anyway, so, so I, I, I didn't know if I wanted to cook or not, and then I started applying. I, I went to bartender school in Philadelphia. Which, <laughs> Let's talk about that. Let's talk about bartender school. Uh, so I, I went Did you to use a, real booze, or was it one of those colored water places? Colored water. Uh, so I went, to, I went to colored water bartender school uh, called, I'm trying to remember what it was called, like Mainline Bartending Academy or something like that. In uh, like a heroin school, <laughs> yeah, it's terrifying. Is that, is that the mean. school Rick Dobbs? Rick Dobbs teaches at <laughs> track marks and flat lines. Anyway, so uh, uh, yeah, it was a colored water bartending academy. I didn't. I was translating full time, so I had to do the weekend course. So it was every weekend for two months. I'd go in for like six hours, and they'd teach us how to free pour and count and just how to flip bottles. To, it was honestly how like to stack, on fire. how to stack shot glasses and, uh, you know, uh, bourbon must be made in bourbon County and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> the difference between like a buttery nipple and a slippery nipple. I, I swear to you. Yeah. yeah. We, we learned, they had us learn acronyms for all of the, Oh my God, you've told me about this. Before. Yeah. So oh, like, like a the... kamikaze has a very tragic landing for vodka, triple sec and lime. Or uh, uh, slow Southerners are okay. Slow gin, Soco, Amaretto, orange juice. Wow. That's yeah. <laughs> an Alabama slammer, right? Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. so anyway, I, I learned how to make b 52 Internationally known water. bartender, Chris Louder, by oh. the way, right here. <laughs> in the studio today. Yeah. Um, All right, Sex on the Beach, what's in it? Sex on the Beach is, uh, it, this is the Philadelphia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
chafing. There's definitely sand in it. <laughs> uh, the Philadelphia Sex on the Beach is you're an MVP champ. Which is Midori, Vodka, Pineapple, and Chambord. <laughs> <laughs> Still got it! Oh my god. That's amazing. <laughs> Incredible. Uh, yeah, so, so then I, I started applying to bartender jobs, and understandably no one wanted to hire me despite my being able to whip up a, a your, means. Cr- your credentials. <laughs> credentials. Uh, and I, I got a job on Craigslist. Uh, I got an interview with Dave Arnold. (laughs) (laughs) Host of Cooking Issues on Heritage Radio Network. (laughs) And so I applied on Craigslist to uh, every Momofuku job. Actually, I was just really in love with Dave Chang's story. And here was this guy who went to Asia and wanted to make noodles. And I still didn't know at that point if I wanted to do this cocktail thing or if I wanted to get back into cooking. So I applied to, I think, five different Momofuku jobs, uh, server, um, prep cook, busser, host. Um, and you just wanted your foot in the door. Yeah, just wanted my foot in the door. And, and I'm okay with starting from anywhere as long as I can just get there. Um, you started as a dishwasher. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. I, I have no problem doing that. And I was, man, I was writing emails on Facebook to people. Hey, you don't know me, but blah, blah, blah. Uh, anyway, so, so I started applying to all these Momofuku jobs, and one of them happened to be uh, barback at Booker Index. And I heard back right away from Dave Arnold's assistant, and I took Nastasia. a sick... Nastasia. Yep, that's it, Nastasia. And I took a sick day and drove up to New York. It was, oh, right, you were in Baltimore at the time. I was, I was, uh, I was in Wilmington translating. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I took a sick day, and I drove up, and it was my second time ever in New York. My first time, I just went for a weekend. Um... By accident, I <laughs> I uh, was going to book an Airbnb with this girl I was dating in Jersey and messed up on the reservation, and I bought a coupon and not a reservation. <laughs> and, and so we drove up to this Airbnb, and uh, I, we showed up, and there was nobody. We didn't have a room, and so we were close enough to New York. We said, well, why not? Let's just stay in New York, and I went and had drinks at PDT. And Jeff Bell was working. And I didn't know anything about cocktails then. How the then. hell did you get in? I can't get in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we were idiots and we called all day. And, and as you know, the, the secret is not to call. It's to just show up and yeah. be present. <laughs> yeah. So I <laughs> have some crypt dogs. That's it. That's it. And uh, so we got in for like a 1 a.m. reservation, two at the bar. And we were their last guests and met Jeff Bell. And, you know, you have that like aha moment. And he wasn't mixing colored water. He was he was doing the real deal, and uh, anyway, then I, I decided that's what I wanted to do. So anyway, I, I, t- I took a sick day. I drove up to New York and um, interviewed. <laughs> Interviewed's loosely a term. Dave Arnold just wanted to talk to me about ball bearings and stainless steel, all the industrial economics stuff. It's all, it's all about ball bearings these days, man. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Mobile gantry patents. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> So um, yeah. you spoke with Dave and Nastasia? I spoke with Dave. Actually, I, I, so I, I came up and, and um, you could tell that the people in Sambar were kind of freaking out a little bit because I had an interview, but I, I don't know how often that happens that they're, they're you know, they were opening where they were opening a bar. So they were like an hour late. And so I was just sitting there. And anyway, finally, they, they came in and, and Dave sat me down and he didn't talk to me anything about cocktails or anything. Uh, <laughs> he just wanted to nerd out about science and i was happy to do that and after about an hour 
uh, <laughs> just talking about nothing. He was like, oh, all right. So, so like being on the show. Yeah, it's like being on the show. <laughs> in, in the end, he said, okay, uh, put liquid nitrogen in this. Don't put liquid nitrogen in that. That'll explode. Uh, this is how the vacuum machine works. Can you start next week? I said, yeah. And then I moved to a, a, a friend's air mattress in Queens. This seems like a good time to take a break. Yeah, goodness gracious. <laughs> <laughs> wow. All right. Let's take a quick break and uh, we'll get back to talking with Chris Louder. My very weird story. About nonsense. Yeah. All right. Back in a moment. Music for this commercial break is brought to you by Alan Wilgus, and this track is called Nice. All right, we are getting into our third installment with Cloud Ride Vapor. Um, Last week was that was a really fun show, wasn't it? So was awesome. Yeah, we had Ryan maybe from Kansas with, City. Yeah, from Kansas City. And I figured like last week we did the uh, he got to partake in a little bit of the uh, the perfect pina, which is really cool. And as you put it, it was like like that beach. beach. I, I think I said it, t- it tasted like being at the beach. Yeah, pina with like pineapple and tropical notes. It was a tra- very transportive experience. Totally. So this week we're gonna try out the smoky oaky. Which I'm gonna hit it first. You're gonna hit that first. Sure, Go for it, man. We're actually we, you know, it's cool with Ryan. Maybe he left a bottle of Kansas City whiskey. So <laughs> I figured, what better pairing? We'll try out some of. Uh, you got it. Well, I got it. You got it. I got it. I was hitting it. It hit me back. Well, you know, we're we're figuring. We're still figuring out this technology. This is this is technology. It is like, like I, you got to plug this, this, this like thing our, in. This is our second time to do this. Yeah. Oh, that's like wood and. <clears throat> Some brown sugar. It's interesting There's to some note. Vanilla to it. Oh yeah, a lot of vanilla. Yeah, Go, it so, goes really well with this Rieger whiskey. Yeah, for sure. All right, cool, man. Well, this stuff know. is um, so all made, right. Made by made by a James Beard award-winning chef. The flavors were formulated. Yeah, you. you you're I, well, a pro. I'm getting down. I'm getting down with this. Um, it's got like it's got some like very light like cigar kind of vibes to it Absolutely. too. You know, it's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Let's, let's, do you want this back? Yeah, sure. All right, cool. <laughs> I'll, I'll go again. Pass again. Uh, yeah, so this is one of the many flavors that they have. Um, I think this is my favorite so far, even though we've only tried two. I think this there is my we go. favorite. Now I'm getting it. I'm really getting into this like electronic smoking. It's not really smoking. I feel like I'm from the future. We are. We're living in the future. Actually, we are in the future. Um, yeah, so, right. We just I'm just drinking whiskey like, and, and vaping yeah. smoke and oak. It's great. We don't have to go outside. You know, we can just smoke in the studio. Why not? Essentially vape in the studio. Why not? Yeah, why not? So okay, so this is one of the many flavors they have. Uh, and if you want to check it out, you can. Um, go to the website, cloudridevapor.com, and you can get twenty percent off your purchase with the code SPEAK. And make sure you're having a whiskey with it, right? I think so. I think that's the that's the trick. All right, we'll check in next week with the next flavor. I, you know, I think we're gonna. I, I got an idea, but Uh-oh. I'm gonna reveal it during the show. Oh, the big reveal! I can't yeah. wait. All right, cool. Check out cladridevapor.com. I see. 
And we are back. You're listening to the Speakeasy on Heritage Radio Network. In the studio today, we have Chris Louder and... Okay, uh, before the break, we were talking about all kinds of crazy shit. Um, MVP champ. MVP, MVP champ. champ. It's so, colored water. What's, okay, what's another one? Like, uh, okay, what's... I, I, I seriously don't know. What's in a blowjob shot? Uh, blowjob shot... It's just, what, Kahlua and cream, no? I don't know. Is it? Like, it's I think got blowjob shot is all about the... The methodology of drinking it. Sure, there might be amaretto. No in hands. There. No hands. Right. It's it's been a while. There was a whole no hands. No, no full eye contact. <laughs> full eye contact. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we were right before the break. We we were talking about uh, you getting into uh, Booker and Dax. Sure. Yeah, right, um, let's pick it up. Got your foot in the door. At, yeah. At the Momofuku machine. At the Momofuku, and and uh, I started eventually bartending at a fine dining sushi restaurant that our good friend Aaron Polsky was putting together the cocktail program hey, wait, for. Wait, wait, I feel like we're skipping a piece here. No offense. Well, no, I, I, I did a few nights there and, well, not a few nights. I had I think one or two nights a week and that's when I started to talk to you about Oh, was uh, that after? It was because I was doing that fairly successfully, whatever that means. I mean, how many cocktails are you going to make in a sushi restaurant? But um, then I started talking to you about coming on at Amoria Margo. And uh, I... So you were over there with Aaron at... at what was it called? Nika? Netta. 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 You were at Netta uh, first. Yes. I feel like, okay, okay. I have the chronology different. I thought it was the other way around. It could be. I mean, it could be... Uh, I, it's fine. Anyway. It's, so yeah, it's you fine. started talking... So you, so, okay. Keep going. I don't mean to interrupt. <laughs> That's right. I'm just going to uh, sip on my whiskey. <laughs> uh, anyway, so I, yeah, I started... Um, showing up, I think, is probably the best word for it. <laughs> showing up at a more... Uh, Wednesdays. So Souther, I don't Every know if you Wednesday. know this, but so Souther said, why don't you just come in? We'll do one day and, and you can hang out behind the bar and maybe make a couple drinks. And I did that. And then uh, I just started showing up. You know, you're right. You're right. That was first. I, th- I thought you're right. so, yeah. You're totally right. Because uh, I just started showing up every Wednesday. Uh, and I figured, well, he's either going to kick me out or eventually um, I can work here. And I knew that I really wanted to work at a more. And so, let's clarify, showing up doesn't mean you, you were coming and sitting at the bar. You showed up every Wednesday at the time that I showed up. Mm-hmm. You helped me set up the bar. Yeah. And then you stood behind the bar with me and... Smiled. I made all the drinks <laughs> and you... Asked, asked a lot of questions. questions. Yeah. And you had a notepad with you and you took a lot of notes. You're yep. a very meticulous, meticulous person. And you did that for... I always I always say six months. It wasn't six months. It was, it was like it, it was, was like a, three, maybe four months. It was it was about let's say three months. But every Wednesday this kid shows up. Yeah, that's, that's until that's finally a, I'm like, okay, get over here and make a drink. Well, that's I think that's a good like testament to like like any new bartender, you know. I think like it's, show it's dedication the and, style, yeah, bartender, totally. you know? which is what I prefer. That's what show I did. interest and dedication and and like never be late. Well, I mean, that's right. the thing is is you you just have to be humble and just start from the bottom with anything. You know, it's it's like when when someone jumps behind the bar and wants to make new cocktails without learning the classics, or you know, if I'm studying a language, can't cook rice, can't carve ice. That's it. And if I'm if I'm taking 101 French, my first week, I'm not going to start trying to add new words to the French language. I'm going to learn. All the the volume, the whole body of uh, language that came before me, and then be humble. And, yeah, and it's like, dude, like, yeah. uh, <laughs> come on, okay, Kadeska, rather, yeah. rather than Kinky, you know, like, 
okay, it's not my day. You know, it's like you like understanding. understanding. We've been drinking. We've been drinking. <laughs> <laughs> now, now Japanese are drinking. But like uh, understanding the the traditional language, and then then you get you get into slang. Yeah, you get you get uh, just be cool. Be cool and show up and be humble, <laughs> and, and just stay just stay cool. Stay cool. Just 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 stay hungry. And anyway, so so, right, I, so you, you I showed up. More. Yeah, you showed I up. showed up and showed up, and then finally one day, uh, uh, I, there was a Sunday or something that was free, and and so I just that was my night. Yeah. Uh, and then we did Fridays together for a really long time. That was a blast. Yeah. Uh, and then I. Started bartending at Trophy Bar. Yes, under the BQE. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, this was your first sort of consulting gig. Yeah, you were it, very excited. I remember. I came in and they wanted to do some cocktails in their program, and uh, you I work sold at myself. Booker and Dax and Amoria Margo. You, you look like a guy who has mixed colored water in Philadelphia. <laughs> um, no, it's funny. You know what's really funny is uh, you have to think about. So uh, I've mixed colored water at this point. <laughs> I have I have worked at the incredibly specific. Yeah, you operated a centrifuge and a yeah. rotary evaporator, <laughs> Booker and Dax, which is really cocktail assembly uh, because all, a, a lot of the prep is front loaded, right? Yeah, and so the, uh, the overwhelming bulk, yeah, yeah, and because you're infusing and, and fat washing and all that kind of stuff. And then I worked at a sushi restaurant where occasionally you'd stir a martini, but there's maybe four cocktails on offer. For the most part, you're pouring sake, uh, and then at Amoria Margot, which is all stirred bitter cocktails. Uh, and then at Trophy Bar, which was the first bar I ever worked at with a beer tap. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know? Like, so, so Trophy is the first bar. You work yeah. And that's, that's an important distinction because you know, at, at a certain point, you just have to say, oh, sh- uh, am I allowed to curse? I don't know if I'm allowed to curse. Yeah, fuck, fuck yeah, man. Oh, yeah. So, uh, you know, you say, oh, shit, like... Uh, this person just ordered a beer, and then... I like just, how you said, oh, shoot, earlier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, golly. Uh, and the, <laughs> so, yeah, so I would just turn to my bar back and just be like, so this is a new style of draft system that I'm not used to. <laughs> He's like... <laughs> how do you... Can you uh, show me... Can you show me how you guys... Tap a beer. Yeah, I just want to be consistent with your style. Teach me how you do it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't oh wanna, my god! Yeah, it's amazing. I, don't I think make ripples. I genuinely think before that the only beer I'd ever tapped was at like the Heineken Museum in Amsterdam, like like you know, in, the, <laughs> in like the novelty tourist room. That's it, that's crazy to think about. Uh, and the same thing goes. Then I started. Um, I did some nights at Dram. Which, <laughs> which, yeah, which was uh, all solo shifts. Thank God. <laughs> because you're, in a, you're in your second bar ever, and you're alone, <laughs> and, and you, so you got and, no one to give you. Guys. And it would get slammed, and people would be like, "Can I have a hot toddy?" And I'd say, "Sure, I can make you that." <clears throat> uh-huh. Okay, uh, yeah. and 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 you you do your best. Thank I, God I, for iPhones. Yeah, like, so it's part. Yeah, it's part of my interview there. This is shake a daiquiri. I think it was the first time. Uh, I'd a dram? Sh- I'd shaken a daiquiri because. <laughs> God damn it! Where is that? That's crazy. And that this is all. This is my my life is a, a series of very bizarre happenstance. Uh, but I'm I'm happy to, to to work hard at it. So and and then I worked at Nomad. Uh, I got hired there probably four, three, four months after they opened, something like that. Yep. Um, and who, who hired you there? It was Jess Gonzalez. 
Oh yeah, yeah. It was incredible. You're like a bar like con man. It's crazy. <laughs> you you confidence fake man. it fake it till you become it. Fake uh, it and, you make it. And there was that was the it was the same way of, of just you know I I was just at this time it's important to say that I was just studying flashcards. This isn't I I, I wouldn't just show up and fumble around. It's important to say it's uh, I am a southern nose. I'm oh, a yeah. flashcard fanatic. Um, and I have uh, apps on my phone that you can do flashcards with, and and I was just studying, 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 and I learned the PDT book from A to Z, and and uh, those were my recipes that I would just have, and you just have to be able to rogue memorize that kind of stuff like a language or like anything. Uh, so when someone would order a gimlet, I'd say yes, I can, I can make you that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's important, uh, I think, at this point anyway, to note that. You are, first of all, a very charming person, and second of all, you 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 have been described in our in our circles as Disney Prince Pretty. So you're a good you're a good looking man with a very charming, uh, you know, attitude. So I think that shit gets you a, a you know that gets you a definite length. Your foot's in the door just on that, and then the fact that you do study up. And you, you, you have know, to work hard. You know how to handle people, man. You're great at handling people. You have to. I mean, we're we're bartenders, so yeah. you. It's it's what's always leaves me in a state of bafflement is uh, when you you talk to a bartender who who is poor with people, and that's crazy. Yeah, um, it's the number one ingredient. It's right? actually the number one thing that you have to do is just be hospitable and friendly, and I don't know. I'd rather have a shitty drink from a a great diet 100%. bartender than yeah. like. A fucking great drink from a shitty like cocktail bartender. Anytime you remember, I, I I don't remember your Negroni spec. I remember the time that we had shooting the shit, and that's way more important. So I remember, I remember that like that like can of America and uh, the dick joke. You know, <laughs> right? <laughs> I, don't, I don't give a shit about your like fucking lavender foam. Yeah, I, I couldn't. I honestly, I couldn't <laughs> care less. It's just if I have a good time or not. Yeah. Uh, so you're at the Nomad. Jess yeah. hires you, and 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 anyway, because uh, she's a smart girl. I, I bartend lady, there. Woman. Uh, start having cool hotel experiences, which is, you know, it's a different style of bartending. You've got different, uh, different kinds of guests come in. I remember we had, um, cast of Game of Thrones come in at one point, which is a blast. Uh, it was like their second or third season and I'm going to nerd out for a second because that's, uh, and so I look up across the bar and there's Theon Greyjoy. Which I don't know if that means anything to you if you see the show or not. I've actually literally never seen the show. I have but no I'm, doubt I'm, that you've never seen. I'm the show. riveted by your story already. Right. And so, <laughs> well, usually a celebrity, Prince, Prince Greystoke or whatever was there. What's his name again? Yeah. So <laughs> celebrities who come in usually want to, uh, you know, they'll have a seat at the back or they want kind of a lower profile uh, experience. And I look up and there's this guy and and just to at this point in the show, if you watch Game of Thrones. Um, this guy has just had a season where he's been uh, kidnapped and tortured and maimed and uh, castrated during this season. The terrible, terrible uh, plot arc. And so this guy comes in. Season of his discontent. <laughs> <laughs> and ordinarily, uh, someone, someone who, who's in a show like that, they want to sit in the back or whatever. And I look up and this guy goes every night during his stay, he would walk around the bar and say to every group of guests, Hey! You know that show Game of Thrones? <laughs> you know Freehold Greyjoy? That's me or I'm him! Oh, Freehold Greyjoy! And <laughs> I am excited to be me. Yeah, I was like, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I gave him some whiskey and he was like, this for me? Or you just have this? And I was like, yeah, you should just have that. That's 
that's some whiskey. That's 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 on me. I'm I'm happy you're here. He was like, thanks. I said, yeah, you've had a rough season. He was like, I did have a rough season. We high five. <laughs> anyway, uh, that's we high five. Yeah. So anyway, so now now I live in Seoul, South Korea. So so I was uh, I was bartending it at um, at Nomad Wait, I managing. Talk, I want to okay. talk real fast about okay. the just the dichotomous nature of those two jobs at the same time. You worked with me at Amori Margo. Oh two, sure, two hundred and forty square feet. Absolute one hundred percent face to face guest interaction with every single guest. Sure. And then you went to the Nomad. Oh yeah, which is two billion square feet. I don't know. How, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's it's literally a one million times bigger than the Mario Margo. And so, like, how did? And then you rose through the ranks there from bartender to bar, bar manager. manager. Yeah. So you, and you did this at the same time, and then finally you you told me I can't spend any more time in your little hole in the wall. It was it was once <laughs> it, when I when I agreed to be bar manager, broke, I broke my heart. I had to to do that full. I love you. I know. I, I didn't mean to break your heart. You, I, I uh, couldn't be happier for you. Crazy. <laughs> um, no, it's when I became their bar manager. You, you have to do it full time. So yeah, of course. Yeah. But like, I just want to know for the listener too. Like, what is that? What is that like to go? You know, because we talk about bars as sort of as as one entity, but they're not. You were yep. you were at my very intimate tiny place, yes. And you went to this giant place that still tries to introduce intimacy to the program, yes. So like, um, I, you know, it's it's two different things. So I always say that uh, I really learned to make drinks at Nomad, but I learned to bartend at Amore Margot, and I, I think that's an important distinction. So Amore, uh, you're solo. Usually, mm-hmm. it's just you. So there's no for for those of you out there who've never been there. It's uh, there's no manager really. There's no doorman. There's no busser. No server. No host. It's just you as a person in a room. You set the lights. You set the music, um, or at least you could at that time. Yep. Um, set set the lights. Set the music. You make pretty much whatever you're going to make that day as long as it's on concept, and um, that's it. So if it gets busy, you're busy. You're super busy, and you just learn how to um, just work the room and uh, make sure that you maintain all your guests, and you learn to be that bartender who can just maintain eight different stories at the same time with different guests and you know, learn your regulars. Uh, what's, what's really cool about bartending like that is because the tips aren't pulled, it's just you, you can kind of experiment a little bit with people and with the verbiage that you use and with your sequence of service and have absolutely immediate feedback of how well or how poorly that's being received. So one of the real lessons for me at Amoria Margo, I think, was um, uh, learning how to slow moments down for people. And I realized that when you drop a check, for example or when you give a menu, or when you hand over a drink, to pause for two beats and make eye contact and just have a genuine, emotionally present moment with somebody, it's like a 100% difference just in terms of, of quantifying their gratuity, right? But we can say that tip is, is some measure of, of how a person feels about their experience, at least in the, the final moments. So uh, I think that it really teaches you what people are and are not looking for in a bar experience, which you know, on one hand, you can be very pragmatic about it and say, um, okay, yeah, you can, I can get more money this way. Uh, but in the more genuine sense, in the sense that I care about, it's uh, you really learn how to be a better bartender and a better host um, and people give you their feedback, you know, people vote with their dollar, right? And uh, I really learned how to 
what are the most important moments of an experience for somebody? Because you can crush it. You guys know. You can crush an entire experience. But if, if that last second, when you drop the check, and they say, hey, thanks, and you're like, yeah. And you, and you Wait, turn I'm your on head. To, I'm on to the next guy. Bye. I'm on to the next guy. And, I didn't, and you say, oh, I guess uh, all this was just part of your Show. service. Yeah, I guess. So it's, it's like, you know, you, you really learn how to be emotionally present with people in, in the moments that matter the most. Uh, and, you know, not just to get money or something, but just because, you know, I genuinely, I do what I do. And, and I think we all do what we all do because we really care about people's experience. And, and, you know, I think one of the things that I've learned in Korea about myself is that I really feed off of and I get a lot of genuine satisfaction from imparting an experience onto somebody and, and from making that relationship and, and for making people's nights amazing or something. Uh, anyway, so I don't know if you wanted to go that philosophical, but... Um, Dude, I'm, I, I, there's not a time when I spend with you that I don't learn something. <laughs> I, actually, that's, you know what? That's super I, well said. I listen to Radiolab a lot, and there was a... I love, I love Radiolab. There's a great... Uh, there's a great episode of Radiolab that's talking about K-pop, and I was just... <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I heard that you one. You heard that one? Uh-huh. The, um, the K-paparazzi one? Yeah. yeah. Oh, what a fascinating episode. I know. Uh, yeah. it's, it's so good. And it's talking about how, like, the... Uh, the blackouts and all that. And, yeah. And, man, it's insane. So I was wondering if... Because you, uh, you are in a relationship... Yeah. ...with Michaela. Yeah. That's yeah. my wife. That's your wife. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, was, it's a, it, you can say it's serious. It, it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was wondering uh, if that relates to uh, bartenders, like in the way that in the United States, how like they're they're like, this is kind of a goofy question, but uh, no, I'm, I'm, there, there I'm, are okay. there are bar crushes, you yeah. know, bartender crushes. Sure. And I was wondering if uh, if it applies in Korea the same way it does with K-pop bands. If uh, you're if you're taken, then it's kind of like you're. Okay, so what you're saying is, is uh, just to catch everyone up on this episode who, who, who doesn't know the backstory, is that um, Korean pop stars, until they're 26, I think. 29. They're, I think it's 29, yeah. 29. You're not allowed to explicitly have a relationship or to be seen at all with uh, in a relationship because it really breaks people's hearts a little bit. Uh, not just a little bit, like the people have committed suicide. Yeah. Uh, when yeah, they, because you're unavailable. Because so. you're unavailable and, and they kind well, of fetishize. Once you're 29, you're dead to me anyway. That's so. it. And, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Mikhail and I have, have a, a good friend who's a K-pop star. Two friends, actually, who are K-pop stars. And they um, uh, they are in a secret relationship. And, and they Don't can't... Don't them. They can't be seen. No, I, I won't. Uh, but, yeah, it's... Um, Okay, so the question is, does that apply to the bar? Do I, does my business suffer uh, because I'm married? And, uh, you know, you do get fetishized out there. Uh, a lot of people, they come in. Especially um, as a, yeah, I mean, a Westerner. We're, we're, we're entering kind of into Korea from, from the, the back end in this discussion here. But, um, yeah, it's <laughs> when you, as a, one of three Western people who are bartending in Korea... The other two are married to Korean women, and so they're business owners. Uh, and I'm the only one who's there kind of as this build cocktail bar that everyone must see. Um, you know, people come in and they just want uh, your signature drink. And they just they come more for an experience. They come to, like, take their Instagram with you uh, and to say that they were there and they had that drink with that person. Uh, so it still gets fetishized. Do, does my business suffer because I'm married? I definitely have seen people... Uh, immediately emotionally disengage uh, when they find out that I'm married. 
Um, That's fascinating. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, people because people just get really that you have their absolute undivided attention, and then uh, when the topic comes up, then you see them just shift gears. And fair enough. Uh, does that make business suffer? No. I mean, it's an excellent bar, and I think people come for for hopefully more than just just a shot at a shot at life forever. Uh, yeah. Well, let's talk about the bar so now you sure. we've gone full circle asia back around to asia now you're at, you're running multiple venues inside the brand new seoul south korea's uh, four seasons sure uh the headliner of course charles h yes so uh Ch- charles h so okay yeah so i i moved to seoul south korea to open a new four seasons um the new the flagship bar that we have is called charles h so it's uh themed around the life and times of charles h baker themed being a loose word it's not like a themey bar but um you know you get that kind of great Gatsby, New York sensation. Yeah. When you walk in and, um, so the menu follows his travels around the world. So we've got a page from Havana, Cuba, a page from New York, a page from, uh, Cairo and currently a page from new Orleans. Uh, we just took off our Shanghai menu, but Charles H Baker jr. Was a guy who traveled all around the world in the thirties and forties, primarily during prohibition and experienced the world of drinking around him. And then, and then wrote gloriously about those, those experiences. Um, yeah. So, I mean, gosh, I could talk about Korea for a whole nother podcast. Um, well, you'll just have to come back. There it is. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a, it's a crazy place to be. It really is. Um, there's a lot that's unavailable, but there's a lot of, but you're making headway in those. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we just got tonic water and because of your ability to purchase and sell. Yeah, that's it. And changing the landscape of what's available in, in South Korea. There's some super hardworking importers who have been playing this game for, a long time, uh, you know, before I got there, certainly we have been able to direct and focus their volumes and therefore have some say in, in what does and doesn't come in. Um, what are some of the, some examples of things that you can't get? Uh, so when, when I got or that there, you couldn't, and that now you can, that's sure. better. Sure. Yeah. That's uh, it's, it's been a really cool success story. So when I, when I went there, there was no, uh, um, 40% Blanco tequila. So 40% ABV, everything sold at, at Mexican, uh, export proof not American export proof. So it's all 38. Um, so we've been able to get, you know, the only things that you could pour there really was Don Julio at 38. So we got in Chimarron at 40, uh, which oh, is, wow. yeah, it's an excellent tequila. Um, there were only two vermouths. So there was Martini and Cinzano. And now we have, gosh, uh, pretty much the whole vermouth suite that you could ask for aside from some American boutique brands. Um, there was only, I think eight different kinds of American whiskey. Now we're at 16. So we've been able to... And this is all because you're a spearhead in this Yeah, it's it's, uh, the bar with... So we we partner also with Proof & Company, who's in Singapore, who runs 28 Hong Kong Street. And uh, they've been really excellent at directing and uh, directing their exports, but also helping with a lot of the paperwork and, and fronting some money for interns to process. I mean, you can't imagine how much paperwork there is to get this stuff in. Uh, tonic water just got legalized. That's through a different importer, but... Um, tonic water. Yeah. That's crazy. Tonic no, water. <laughs> heretofore, no gin tonic in Korea, South Korea. Yeah, I mean, there was... So there's, there's Canada Dry. Canada Dry tonic exists but that's just because i think on the can it says you know it's quinine flavored there's not actually quinine sure. in it. um but now now we can get all kinds of cool boutique stuff although it's it's still really expensive so you know the average price that you pay for a cocktail in korea after a 10 to 15 dollar cover charge 
uh, is going to be usually $27, $28. And all bars uh, have a cover charge, you were all bar, All cocktail bars have a cover charge. There's some bars, there's a handful of... Why is that? Does that keep the riffraff out? Or? No, it's, it's just um, it, the whole Korean model follows mostly the Japanese model. And so it's low cover count, very high-touch bars. You know, people there... Gosh, I could talk about this all day. People there talk about... Um, Bartending usually for a competition. They all have their signature cocktail. They all want to be the next Bacardi champion or something. It's that same K-pop mentality, right? It's yeah, the it, bartenders well, want to be the K bartender. Well, there's also there's <laughs> there's so much uh, social space between you and other people in in Korean and Japanese culture. So you can't really have this chit chat with the bartender that you might be used right. to. It tends to be more of you know the bartender's there to serve you, and so you sit down and. You expect some kind of a show and certainly some snacks and maybe a welcome drink. And there's like a whole thing. Um, and therefore, you know, people do a cover charge. How do you how do you deal with that? Like from being someone who's so like personable and outgoing as a bartender and, and just as a as, as a human being, like how does that affect you in your work? Like as far do you feel like you have to dumb it down or like? It's not so much dumbing it down. Uh, you you know you always you're giving great service when you are satisfying and elevating someone's expectations of what their experience is going to sure. be. So for an American going to a bar, they're hoping maybe to chit chat with the bartender. They're hoping to have a great date, maybe get laid, uh, talk about their kids, forget about their kids, see their wife, see their mistress, have a first date, have a last date. I don't know. So you know you can you can help with I just that. Ran the gamut of yeah. bar, <laughs> bar guests yeah. right there. Yeah. Yeah. It was in a nutshell. And I. I think that a great bartender is always going to be someone who can be a mirror, who can change a little bit, you know, still stay true to who they are and who the bar is, but then change a little bit going down the line. So, you know, I'm going to interact differently with the cocktail nerd, then I'm going to interact with uh, the married couple, then I'm going to interact with the first date. And so, uh, you know, it's just a different kind of guest. And so as long as you can do your job as a bartender, you know, some people are looking for, uh, I'm here to see the celebrity mixologist and try the, their signature cocktail. Um, does that get old and alienating at a certain point? Sure. But then you also have, it's an international hotel. So, you, you know, you have those guests that come in that really feed your soul, uh, pun intended. And, <laughs> and it's, you know, the place that the bar is located is, uh, I say the bar, the hotel is located is, uh, kind of right in the middle of if you can combine New York Financial District with Washington D.C. Um, so you've got uh, it's historically the center of of Korean politics and leadership. Then you've also got a lot of law firms. You've got uh, different people of different business interests who have all traveled internationally. And so you know mo- a lot of people honestly come in for a nostalgic New York experience to remind oh, yeah. them of the time when they lived abroad. They're fluent English-speaking professionals who are Korean. Uh, but they're like, yeah, I used to work, I don't know, on Wall Street. And, you know, I used to have drinks with the Nomad. And can you make me their signature cocktail? Or, uh, you know, I just really want an uh, authentic American old-fashioned. And even if you make the same drink as the guy next door uh, at the end, then if you give people that sense of nostalgia, then, you know, that's that's one of the reasons people come to a bar. Damn. Well... That's amazing. You're making me feel really nostalgic for the times <laughs> that you were living here. I can't wait. So I guess we're going to have to go Now to we're going Korea. to Korea. We're going to do a show from Korea. Please. Uh, at Four Seasons. Heritage um, Radio on the road. Dude, 
I'm all about it. I'm all about it. But Chris, we uh, really appreciate you coming into this. Oh my gosh, of course. Um, you're just a an amazing person with a lot to say. And I can't wait for uh, for the next time you come to New York or when we go to Korea. Let's go <laughs> uh, to to get back on the mics uh, and and talk more. Please. Thanks again. Um, it's been amazing, man. It has. Um, just a quick drop. Uh, next week's guest is Kayla Mata uh, from uh, what's her what's her company? Illegal, right? Yeah. Uh, and she's gonna uh, <laughs> come on and talk about mezcal, and then gonna swing back over to Grand Army and do happy hour. We're gonna drink mezcal and drink lots of delicious mezcal. Yeah. Um, louder. You are easily one of my favorite human beings on earth. I'm I love so, you. I'm so, I'm so glad you've been on the show today. Uh, I miss you terribly. We didn't mention it on the air, but you used to be my roommate. And oh yeah, the, the house, oh, my is, the God, house is not a home. <laughs> I, was, I was just saying yesterday, the uh, house is not a home without you there. I was, I was looking through some old photos, and I found uh, when we first moved into that apartment, and we didn't have any furniture. And I have a, <laughs> I have a picture of uh, Souther sitting in the middle of an empty kitchen on a step ladder. Uh, I think just in your underwear, reading a Jacques Pepin cookbook. <laughs> <laughs> and could could anything be more perfect? Yeah. yeah. Here we are. We've arrived in New York City. <laughs> We've made it. Awesome. That's it. Well, uh, that's it for the Speakeasy this week. Check out heritageradionetwork.org for many other programs like this one. Until next week, I'm Damon Bolte. And my name is Souther Teague. Thanks, Chris, for being on the show today. Happy Until to be next here, week. Cheers, guys. Cheers, Cheers guys. dears. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The groove is grooving them rhythm and blues that's him. It's gonna get you some in the end. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>